Revelation 20 here tonight. Revelation 20. Now, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks here in Revelation, uh, we're getting down to just the last couple chapters. There's only three chapters left in this book. And what we're to the point now is last week we did the second coming of Christ. And we put some overheads up here where we talked about the difference between the rapture and the second coming. And we ended at the end of chapter 19 and about how Jesus literally, physically returns to the earth. And we talked about how when he literally, physically returns to the earth, that he sets up his kingdom and he's going to rule and reign on the earth literally for a thousand years. And it's something called the millennial reign of Christ. And that's what we're going to get in here tonight a little bit. Now, before he can literally reign on the earth for a thousand years, for him to reign effectively, for him to reign efficiently, he has to do something here with this problem of Satan. And that's where the first part here of Revelation 20 gets into. Revelation 20, verse 1, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years are finished. But after these things, he must then be released for a little while. Now, that is important. For Christ to rule and reign, the enemy has to be taken care of. So for a thousand years, Satan is bound. Now, Satan's had free reign over what's going on here ever since the fall of man. And this is something that I think sometimes kind of throws people for a loop a little bit, but if you really look and study this out, this is a biblical point. Satan is called the god of this world. He is the god of this age. This does not mean that Satan has overpowered God, and so for a while here he is ruling and reigning. It's not that way in any way whatsoever. When sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve sinned, God stepped back and said, Fine, mankind, you have chosen to sin, so since you have chosen to sin, I will now hand the world over to the enemy, and he can be the God of this world, the Lord of this age for a while, and you will see what the effects of sin are. You just have to watch the nightly news at 6 o'clock to see what the effects of sin are. This is not what God intended from the beginning in any way whatsoever. If we had what God intended from the beginning, we'd still be in the Garden of Eden. That's what God intended. So when someone comes up to me and says, how can a God of love allow this? How can a God of love do this? How can a God of love have all these things happen in this world? One of the first things I try to tell them, this is not what God intended to be happening in his world. This is not. He has allowed the world to go under the sway of the enemy because we chose sin over the Lord. And we have to make sure that point is established. Here, during this millennial reign, this literal thousand-year reign of Christ, for 1,000 years, Jesus rules and reigns on this earth, and we get to finally experience what God intended. Well, the first step in this happening is Satan being bound for a thousand years. Now, I need to steal this point, and I want to make sure that you didn't think I was smart enough to come up with this on my own. I don't know how many times... I've read through Revelation 20. I know we've taught, this is at least the third time that I've taught through the book of Revelation. I have never noticed this point before. Look at this point here in Revelation 20. An angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon and he bound him for a thousand years. So Satan, who, who is this guy that we fear and that we're scared of and we give all this power and ability to, one angel with one chain takes care of him. Isn't that not fascinating? I found that absolutely fascinating because I've shared with you before that I almost had this Sunday school mindset that I remember back when I was a kid. I had Satan and Jesus on the same level and they were like duking it out all the time. Good versus bad. And eventually Jesus gets the final blow in and he happens to win. No way. Jesus is the one that's created everything. Jesus was involved in the creation of the angels and Satan is an angel so Jesus was involved in his creation. Jesus is God. Satan isn't. In fact, the Bible says that when we see the enemy, the Bible says we'll marvel at him 
saying, this is the man that brought down the nations? And we'll see this guy. And it's almost like that Wizard of Oz moment of don't look behind the curtain. We'll look behind the curtain and we'll see this and we'll say, him? That thing is what caused so much death and destruction? And you see the limited power that he has that when God says, you know what? It's time to be done. It's time to be done. One angel with one chain wraps him up and he's bound for a thousand years. That shows the power of God versus the power of the enemy. And what does he do? Well, he's, I should say, what isn't he doing? If you look at verse 3, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. That's what Satan does. He deceives. The Bible makes it clear if you're taking notes in John 8:44, It says that Satan is the father of lies. Go back to Genesis 3. What's the first thing that Satan did? He's a deceived. He, he deceived. He twists the words of God. He twists the Bible. Anytime I have someone come up to me and they want to do something that doesn't line with God's will, you can see just the deception of the enemy being put in there where they take scriptures and they just kind of twist it. And it's just absurd, silly things. And, and I shouldn't say silly because they're so sad that it's almost not funny of where the person comes up and says, you know what, I really feel like the Lord... Um, Fill in the blank. The Lord wants me to leave my family behind. Wants me to leave my wife, leave my kids. Why? Why? Well, the Lord wants me to be happy. Well, the Lord wants you to be happy in your marriage, so let's work on your marriage first. Nope, nope, the Lord's called me and told me to leave. God's not going to call you to do something that goes against his word. So anytime someone comes up to me and they want to do something that's not biblical, one of the first questions I ask them is, the Lord led you to do it? Oh, yes. Well, what's your scriptural background for that? Well, that's where you see the deception of the enemy coming in, where they take things and they start twisting it. That's all that Satan does. He just deceives. Look at how many people have these weird opinions on Jesus. One of the greatest things that Satan likes to twist is who Jesus is. You have Mormons teaching that Jesus is the equivalent to Satan and brothers. You have uh, Jehovah Witnesses teaching that Jesus is the first created being. And you have all these other different cults teaching they themselves are Christ. It's just this crazy deception that happens and God's word is being twisted. That's why it's so vital. And I'm on my little soapbox here, so let me go for a couple seconds. It is so vital as believers that we know God's Word. Because if you know God's Word, you can't be deceived. If you don't know God's Word, when people start talking to you and they start twisting scriptures, you're going to say, well, it sounds good. I've seen those pastors on TV. They sound good. They look real good. they got a better suit than I do, a better pulpit than we do, and they got a better background than we do. They look really good. Problem is, their words are words of deception. Their words are words of being twisted. It's the same thing that happens. Those little deceptions and twists are there. I'm getting ahead of myself because I was going to save this story for next week, so I'll just share the story this week and I'll repeat it next week and you can laugh both times. But originally, I ran into a guy here not too long ago and he came up to me, and, and I've been doing this long enough, I can tell when I'm, when I'm about to get set up by people. And I'm not saying I got it down, but I can tell. A guy comes up to me, never met him before in my life, and I was at a big event, and um, he knew I was a pastor. He comes up to me and he goes, Pastor, he goes, do you, know, you see that guy sitting over there? I said, yeah. He goes, you know that guy? doesn't believe in hell. I said, okay. I've never met this guy. And I said, okay. He goes, pastor, do you believe in hell? I said, yeah, I believe in hell. He goes, who do you think goes to hell? I could tell he's setting me up. I said, well, I believe anybody who doesn't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior goes to hell. He goes, do you believe that they're in there for all of eternity? And I said, yeah, I think the Bible makes it very clear that if you choose to reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're cast into hell for all of eternity. He goes, pastor, you are wrong. <laughs> now, that's, I'm, this is, I'm not, I embellish some things. This is not embellished. And I said, I'm wrong. And he goes, yeah. And he quotes a verse here from Revelation 20, which we're going to get to in a little bit. And I know, look, don't look at the Bible, look at me. So he quotes a verse from Revelation 20 that we're going to get to in a little bit, probably next week. 
and he starts quoting and he's taking it out of context. He's completely taking it out of context. But he's saying it emphatically, he's saying it passionately, and he's saying it like he knows what he's talking about. And it'd be easy, and I'm not saying this egotistically, it'd be easy if you didn't know your Bible to sit there and say, obviously this guy knows what he's talking about. I knew what he was talking about because I've run into this false teaching before. I've had people try to convince me of this stuff before. So I let him get his little spiel out. And I said, well, actually, if you want to, and I usually don't do this because I don't usually try to sound smarter than what I am. Every now and then I feel a little feisty and I just want to. So I decided at this point, I said, I'm not going to do this. And I said to myself, well, you know, if you go back to the original Greek, this is what it says in the original Greek, blah, 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 blah. And I totally refuted everything he said. You know what he did? He shut up. Because when you combat deception with truth, what are you supposed to say to that? The reason I bring this up is you guys will be around people with co-workers, with friends, with family, and they will take scriptures, and scripture will be twisted, scriptures will be deceived, and it's so vital for us as believers to know the Bible so importantly. Because when you know God's word and truth, you won't get brought into those false things. You'll know it. And so it's so important when you see verse 3 here, Revelation 23, what does Satan do? He likes to deceive the nations. That's what he likes to do. So for this literal thousand-year reign of Christ, can you imagine the enemy being locked up? Wow. The enemy will actually be locked up, and so that deception will be gone. That temptation will be gone. We'll still battle the flesh, and I'll get to that in here in a few minutes, but it's vital to show that literally for this thousand-year reign of Christ, that Satan will be locked up. Note his power once again is limited. One angel, one chain locks him up shows God's might, God's power, and it shows God's purpose that the deception ends. So before we get into verse 4 about the actual millennial reign of Christ, anybody got any quick questions, comments about this part? Because this sets the foundation for what we're going to go to next. Nope. Okay, let's move on and see what happens. Verse 4. And it says, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and the judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now this is that literal thousand year reign of Christ. Now if you're, if you're taking notes here, here's a quick note to remember. The millennial reign of Christ, there is more prophecy written about the millennial reign of Christ than any other event in the entire Bible. Isn't that fascinating? Because finally, Jesus gets to rule and reign the way he's supposed to rule and reign. It finally happens. This is the, the event that we've been waiting for when we look at this world and we say, Lord, this isn't fair. It's not fair that the little kids get cancer. Lord, it's not fair that these adults go through this promise. It's not fair that this world is falling apart physically. This is not fair, Lord. And God says, I know. This is not the way it's supposed to be. During this literal reign of Christ for a thousand years, it's the way it's supposed to be. What we're going to do is this. If you picked up a sheet... I want to just hit some of these points here real quick, and then I'm going to go back and read the scriptures that goes back with this. So I'm just going to go through these bullet points real quick, make a couple of points about them, and then we'll come back and talk about this. First one we've already established. Jesus is literally, physically ruling and reigning on the earth. He will literally be here in the flesh. In fact, one of the passages we're going to read, he's going to be in Jerusalem at the temple teaching on a regular basis. So we get to go up there and listen to actually Jesus himself teach. I remember when I first got saved and uh, Pastor Crager was teaching through Isaiah and he came to that point. That was one of those things that just totally blew my mind. To think that there's going to be a literal time that we will walk to the temple and say, hey, Jesus is teaching. He's going to explain to us what he meant in fill in the blank Matthew 14. 
What an amazing thing that's going to be, is to hear Jesus himself. Next one, for those that believe in Christ, for those that have been raptured out, in the next point, we get to literally rule and reign with him. So, for us that have been born again and saved, and we're part of the rapture that happens to start the tribulation, we come back with Christ, which we've talked about last week in Revelation 19. We've covered this before. In Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9, we talked about it, and also Revelation 19. It talks about verse 14, us returning with Christ. We get to literally rule and reign with him. There will be people on the earth that are populating the earth. If you look in your notes there, we made a little reference to Matthew 25 of who is actually living in this millennial reign. This is what happens. In Matthew 25, there's something called the judgment of the sheep and the goats. After the tribulation ends, after what happens at the battle of Armageddon, which we talked about the last two weeks, what happens then is anybody living left on the earth, and it's going to really be a small amount of people. It really is. If you've been with this, this Revelation study, it gets rough at the end. So who's ever left on the earth is going to be separated, the sheep or the goats. The sheep are those that have accepted Jesus during the tribulation period, and they get to go into the millennial reign. The goats are the people that have never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, even during the tribulation. And at that point, they will be judged. So the only people... Only people going into the literal millennial reign of Christ are believers that got saved during the tribulation, and they will come into the millennial reign of Christ, and they will live on this earth, and they will actually live their physical lives on this earth. For us that are born again and saved, that get raptured out, we return with Christ, we rule and reign with Jesus during the millennial reign, and we will be in our heavenly glorified bodies. I sometimes have people come up to me after a teaching like this, and they're like, man, I am not excited about the millennial reign. And I say, why? They say, I'm going to be back on earth. What happens if I start screwing things up again? You don't have to worry about that. You're coming back in a glorified state. You're coming back ruling and reigning with Jesus. It's not like you're going to come back and say, boy, I just want to eat ho-hos this whole thousand years or something like that. Your focus is going to be on Jesus and wanting to rule and reign with him. You will not be facing the physical mortal temptations of the flesh that we are facing right now. I want to make that abundantly clear so you can enjoy the millennial reign of Christ because you will be in your heavenly glorified body. So we literally rule and reign with them. So the people coming into the millennial reign, people that got saved during the tribulation, that made it through the tribulation, and these are born-again believers that are starting over in the earth. And that's from Matthew chapter 25, the separation of the sheep and the goats. So just do a couple things here. The curse is reversed. Now we'll get into this in a few minutes. Note the curse is not lifted. It's reversed. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Temptation is limited. Temptation won't be as bad as it is now. We'll talk about that. Sin is dealt with quickly. Because with Jesus literally ruling and reigning, and us literally ruling and reigning with him, when we see things getting out of hand, we get to help step in. And we don't get to help step in in like this mean sort of policeman way. We get to help step in in a very loving way to help deal with those problems to make sure sin doesn't get taken care of. Lifespan is expanded. We we'll talk about you know people if they would die at the age of a hundred, it's like a very small life. Work is a blessing, peace in all of the creation, peace in the world, and obviously the last one, most important one here, is we're literally ruling and reigning with Jesus and living with Him. So let's go back and talk about some of these and hopefully fill in some of the things. If you look there in your sheets, we have three references I want to start out with. The first one, please go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. We're going to go ahead and start here in Isaiah 65 and verse 20. Isaiah 65, verse 20. And you can look, all those references there are going to be Isaiah. So after Isaiah 65, we're going to Isaiah 11. And after Isaiah 11, we're going to Isaiah 2. Any quick questions, comments thus far? Yeah, John. Correct. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, two things on that question. The first one, John's asking a very legitimate question here, is that people that are, are ruling and reign, living here during the millennial reign, that they still have a sin nature, so sin still affects their bodies, and that if something would happen to them or they would die, do they, what happens to them? Do they die and come back, etc., is what you're asking. Okay, two things on that. First off, number one, you of all people would be the one to ask that question. No problem. I just want to let you know. And I'm not saying this is like a spiritual thing. As soon as you start talking, I thought John's going to go there. I just know he is. Number two, I've been asked that question before. And I think that is a very legitimate question. And I have no problem sometimes ever stating, I don't know. And that, I'm going to come right out and say, I don't know. And this is why. Because it makes sense. If you would physically die, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, if the Lord's on earth... And that's where everybody's at. Well, I'm, I don't know. I mean, you almost have this envision of someone like taking their last breath and, oh, time to get up. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't mean that to be making it as a joke, but, but that's where it kind of seems. It almost, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like, well, you've got to go to heaven for a 90-day trial period and come down. It, it's a really legitimate question. And I'm going to come out and say, I don't know, but it sure sounds like something like that could potentially possibly happen. The Bible says that we will all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And so therefore, if God says that I can change you in a twinkling of an eye, then that means he'll be able to handle that situation quite effectively. Well, we will find out someday. Yeah, but seriously, that's a very legit question. It really is. Anybody else have anything I want to say here thus far before we get into these passages? Okay, Isaiah 65, verse 20, please. This is talking about during the literal thousand reign of Christ. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Saying that if somebody would be 100 years old and die, they would still be considered almost just a child. And I don't mean physically, literally a child, but the life expectancy is going to be so much further. And, and the best example I can think of is almost go back during the time frame of Genesis when these people were living five, six, seven, eight hundred, nine years. Things will be like that. So if somebody would die at 100, it's like that was just a kid. So, continue on here, verse 21. They shall build houses, life continues. They'll inhabit them, life continues. Plant vineyards, eat their fruit. They shall not build another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. Longer life expectancies, life continues. Sometimes people say, well, what's it going to be like? Well, it's going to be like it is now without the sense of that curse of work. It's not like I believe the McDonald's are going to be open. It's going to be like this idea that we have a life to live, and our life to live is enjoying being with Jesus. Houses will be built. Fruit will be planted. Vineyards. Can you imagine not having to worry about work? Can you imagine not having to worry about that paying of the bills that you get to enjoy actual life the way God intended it? Verse 22, My elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. You build the house and you enjoy it for a thousand years. Verse 23, they should not labor in vain. Let's just be honest, and I'm not trying to bring you guys down. A lot of us labor in vain. A lot of us will get up, not me, go to work tomorrow, and you'll kind of come home saying, did I really do anything today? And yeah, I did my paycheck. I did what they asked me to do. But there's an emptiness of this is not what I really want to do. During the millennial reign of Christ, there'll be a purpose. There'll be Jesus. There'll be a reason. Nor bring forth children for trouble. Won't that be a blessing? Can you imagine how great it will be to raise children in the millennial reign of Christ without the temptations of the world, without the temptations of the enemy? For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Verse 24, shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. I love that. It almost reminds me, if you remember what it's like, and, and I'm still in this phase with my kids, before they cry, there's just something about it. I can be in a deep sleep, and you just hear them rustle. You're automatically awake. 
And you just sit there awake because you can hear them. You're like, I'm just waiting for them to cry. And sometimes you go in even before they cry. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Talk about access to God. Pet peeve of mine, the lion and the lamb never lie down together. I just want to make that clear. Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all the holy mountains, says the Lord. The curse is reversed. You don't have to worry about creation and, and that danger of creation. And stay with me and go to Isaiah 11, because I want to build on this point really quickly here, because it continues on this in Isaiah 11, and then we'll make a few points here. Isaiah 11 Let's go and start this one in verse uh, 6, please. Same concept, Isaiah 11, verse 6. It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And, and I'm not making a joke about this. This is one of the things I talk about with our boys all the time. They're in this age of like when we go to the zoo or we talk about animals, we talk about this millennial reign of Christ, and, and we talk about and I know it sounds silly, but you have to put yourself in the perspective of a six, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. This idea of you can go up to the tiger and rub its belly. I mean, that's the concept that's going on here, that you're going to be able to go up to this tiger, take it by the face, and just grab it. Riding elephants. You know, all this other type of stuff. Why? The curse is reversed. Verse 6, the little child shall lead them. There's nothing to have that fear of. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's pole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Right now, parents, you know what it's like. You send your kids outside, and what are you always doing? Watching. Watching. Millennial rain, nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Grab the cobra, bring it in, show mom. There's nothing to fear. Our life right now is so full of fear. You lock your cars at church. You're going to lock your house when you get home. There's that fear thing. Verse 9, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and its waters cover the sea. The focus of the world will be on the Lord. One last verse here about Isaiah and the millennial reign that will make some closing points. Isaiah chapter 2, please. Isaiah 2. And let's go ahead and start this in uh, verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. The center of the world will be Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the world capital. The world will focus itself around Jerusalem, and anything that matters is going to be going on with Jerusalem. Personal opinion. Take it or leave it. The earth's population will be so minute starting out the millennial reign. What I envision is those that have lived through the tribulation are all going to have themselves around Jerusalem. And after a thousand years, as things progress, the earth will eventually be repopulated to the point that we look at now. But at the beginning, everybody's just going to center themselves around Jerusalem. That's what I see. Verse 3, many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know what it's going to be like. I, I, I have this envisionment of Jesus teaching. If we're ruling and reigning with him, I don't think I'm adding to Scripture here. Can't you imagine one time, hey, Moses is over in the temple. He's explaining the law one more time to us. Hey, where's that? Hey, check it out. Elijah is over there, and he's talking about the time that he called fire down from heaven. I envision those type of things happening because we're literally ruling and reigning with Christ, and you see this type of thing going on here. Verse 4, excuse me, uh, rest of verse 3. For out of Zion, out of Israel, Jerusalem shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Peace. Finally at peace. Now, quick tidbit. 
Isaiah 2.4. Does anybody know Isaiah 2.4 where that's being used in the world today right now? Anybody want to take a shot at that? This verse is inscribed where? UN. Isn't that fascinating? You go to the UN, there's a park across from the UN, and they chose Isaiah 2.4 to be their verse. I'm not trying to get political here, but I'm telling you right now, the UN does not have power to do anything like this, or they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. The only way that it's going to happen is when Jesus Christ is literally ruling and reigning on this earth. What an amazing thing that will be. And we're out of time here, so we can't get to the other stuff that we're going to get it to. i got a couple closing points I want to say. This at least sets us to what the millennial reign is. Does anybody else have any quick questions, comments? Yeah, Ryan. Really, really good question there. I've always envisioned it as being the creatures that survived. And since they survived, they're the ones that come back and repopulate. The reason I don't see it being creatures being recreated, because this is really not the new creation yet. New heavens and the new earth come in Revelation 21 and 22. That's where God starts from scratch. He's still dealing with a cursed fallen world here. That's why we say the curse is reversed, not lifted. So I don't see that happening yet, Ryan. I see it being more of creatures that have survived and come into the tribute. New earth, yeah. I, I, you know, and people ask, and as we joked about last week, people come up all the time and say, are there animals in heaven? And I always say, yes, there are, because in Revelation 19, we return on horses. So obviously there's some type of animals in heaven. But in the new creation that's going to happen in Revelation 21 and 22, which we'll get into in a couple of weeks, it's quite possible that God starts from scratch with things like that. My personal opinion, this is just my opinion, I really hope that type of stuff is up there for all of eternity in heaven. That's part of creation. That was part of his original perfect creation. And to me, that's part of enjoying the presence of that. I think that would be a pretty cool thing, my personal opinion. Yeah, John. Well, is it a slam the serpent has to eat dirt? And once again, it comes back to this point that... The curse is still not completely lifted. And I mean, and that's one of the things I want to I want to make sure we're dealing with is this is still a fallen world. People will still be able to choose to sin during this time if they want to. And we'll get into that next week about Jesus ruling and reigning with an iron fist, or iron handed, I should say there. And so there still is going to be sin. And we know from Zechariah 14 that as this goes on, there's going to be some nations that don't really want to do this. And so there still is this idea of a little bit of rebellious spirit, and obviously that brings up to when Satan's released in a thousand years. So to answer your question, the curse is still in effect, so yeah, the serpent still has to crawl on its belly. So, yeah. I think it's going to be something different, because when you look at the description of it there in Revelation 21 and 22, it, it seems to have a different focus and mindset, because the focus and mindset of the eternity in heaven is realizing what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us to be up there. If you look at the original creation back in Genesis 1, the focus was not the suffering Messiah, because he hadn't had to suffer yet. So the focus of Revelation 21 and 22 is all about Jesus and Israel and what God did. So I believe the focus is, is going to be different than what it was in Genesis 1. Right. No, no, I don't think it's going to be like that at all. No, it's going to be a different focus, yeah. Anybody else have anything they want to say here? Yeah, sure, like, why do they make it through? Yeah, the people starting in the millennial reign are those that did accept Jesus and got saved during the tribulation. They were not killed. And you've got to remember, how did they survive it? You go back to what we studied in, this is off the top of my head, I believe it was Revelation 14. Remember, there's that example of Israel that is taken into the wilderness. And the Bible says that they are protected for the last three and a half years by, by the Lord. So there is a remnant that God tries to protect during the second half of the tribulation. So there is going to be a very small, and I stress that word, small remnant that is going to be able to make it through the tribulation. Once again, I, I want to make this clear, which kind of takes us in our segue, and this is how we end every study in Revelation. 
It's great to learn this stuff. It's great to have this knowledge. But what matters most is us understanding that we need to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we know that, hopefully, by us coming here tonight. So what matters most is now that we know people that don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so as we've studied out the tribulation, as we've studied out the horrors of what it will be, that that hopefully spurs us on to go be a light and a witness to them because we don't want any of our unsaved loved ones to go through this. And we want them to know Christ before this all happens. It's really easy for us to walk out of a service like this tonight and say, well, I'm sure glad I know Jesus. Well, we all work with people. We all know people that don't know Jesus. So we want to make sure that we are lights and witnesses to them because we know what's coming, which makes me go full circle here. You don't want anybody to say, well, gosh, there's a group of people that make it through the tribulation and this millennial reign just doesn't sound all that bad. I got a pretty good shot. Boy, if you've been with us when we've studied Revelation, when we're dealing with a third of the earth killed, a fourth of the earth killed, and you're looking at the horrors of what we went through in the seal, the trumpet, and the bowl judgments, nobody in their right mind would want to take a shot at trying to make it through seven years of the tribulation. That's why the book of Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. If given the opportunity, you take it now. You don't wait, and as we just talked about Sunday here, and I'm getting into preaching a little bit too much, is every time we reject, our heart becomes a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. Today is the day of salvation. Anybody else have any final things they want to say here before we go ahead and close up? Yeah, Alan. Mm -hmm. No, and that's a really good question. And I would say the role of the Holy Spirit will still be used and still be working because obviously he's part of the Trinity and he still has a role. But as you see here, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the role of the Holy Spirit when Jesus was literally on the earth for those uh, 33 years and he walked the earth. The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit had a role. We saw that being used. But the main emphasis for those 33 years when Jesus was on the earth was his literal earthly ministry. So I think when Jesus is literally on this earth for a thousand years, the main focus is going to be his literal earthly ministry. I mean, as we just read there in Isaiah, that he'll be there when we call to him. He'll be there when we need him. I mean, imagine... And obviously the world is going to be so different, but imagine the problems we face today. If you did have a problem, imagine being able to go up to Jesus after Bible study and, hey, Jesus, can I talk to you for a little bit? I'm just having a problem here. I mean, that's the wonderful counselor. <laughs> I mean, the, the access that we will have to him and us also being the saints ruling and reigning with him, that's going to be a lot of our ministry too. Anybody else have anything they want to say here before we close up? All right, I encourage you to come next week. Um, Hate to say this, it takes a pretty bad turn next week. Uh, Satan's released for a thousand years. We get into the great white throne judgment, and we'll get into that stuff too. But I'm glad you guys can make it out, and let's have a word of prayer, and we'll let you go here. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're just thankful for the time to be here tonight. And Lord, as we just read and study this millennial reign, oh my goodness, Lord, what an amazing thing it is. And that gives us a hope right now, Lord, a hope when we face these tough days that there is something to look forward to and to hold on to. Thank you for that. Lord, at the same time, too, we all know people that don't know you. Lord, spur us on. Encourage us to be a light and a witness to them, to get out there and say, we know what's coming, and we love you enough to tell you that. Lord, we pray for unsafe friends and loved ones that they would truly be touched by your spirit and have an open heart to you, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, thanks for coming out, and you guys have a good week, and God bless.